Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. Later in the show, celebrating the end of the school year with the Better World Picnic at Bridge Street School in Northampton. And we'll meet the artist behind that blocking, blocky-looking P-Town bumper sticker you may have seen on people's cars buzzing down 91. And it's me, Monty. Hey! I'm back from the Cape. Woo! It didn't kill you. This is amazing! Lion's mane mushrooms! Yes! Yeah. Please see what I set up when I come back from vacation and I provide for you this whole spread. Okay, I didn't do it, but... This is gorgeous. It's time for a Local Hero Spotlight. I've been on the Cape where there haven't been as many uh, farms that I had access to, although there's a lot of farmer's markets there, a lot of oysters, but where we're at is oyster mushrooms and more with Clarissa Lee Madden from Grown Up Farm in Belchertown and Jacob Nelson from CESA, the Local Hero folks. Khalees, you were going crazy when you came into the studio and saw everything. I know. This is all stuff that I really, really get excited to see in my share, especially like, and mushrooms. Ah, mushrooms. We've got the oyster mushrooms somewhere, right? Yeah. Do I see them? Yep. And then another, I've never even tried this other type of mushroom. Lion's mane mushrooms are gaining in popularity. They're not that hard to grow, but like their texture is amazing. They look furry like furbies. But taste-wise, they're kind of delicate, almost like seafood. So, like, you can substitute them for, like, shellfish or things, and they they steak really easily. If you're looking for a meat substitute that doesn't get, like, mushy. Like, my partner loves mushrooms but only really likes standard mushrooms raw, and it's a texture thing. But now that I've been expanding their horizons to, like, oysters and king trumpet, like, lion's mane is one of the ones that they like quite a bit because the texture really maintains. It's such a wonderful thing to work with. And you see them pick them up. And Clarissa, you are intentionally growing this weird type of stuff by design. Like you want to do stuff that is not not traditional, not in every single person's farm or farm share. This is kind of your angle. Absolutely. My background's in fine dining, and I always had the opportunity in those you know, high-end restaurants to really play with some funky, cool-looking and tasting vegetables. So when we wanted to start providing food instead of just cooking it, we said, let's grow the funky stuff. We can't get enough. <laughs> you know, just... We love the funky stuff. I do, I Tell love us... the funky stuff. funky stuff. Tell us a little bit about some of the funky stuff apart from these lion's mane mushrooms and the oyster mushrooms that you brought with us today. Sure, yeah. Everything I brought today is kind of at the height of its season right now, which is kind of a weird in-between season. You know, we're still having cool nights and warmer days. So you get things like garlic scapes and radishes and, you know, fun salad turnips because regular turnips aren't available until middle of summer. Um, so I grow the Hakurai turnips. And nobody else around us is growing these things. So we're not stepping on any toes. We're really working with other farms to provide a whole bevy of deliciousness for our communities. One of the most self-affirming things to grow is radishes. They come up in like 20, 25 days. They take no effort at all. You can put them right in the soil. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. in like three weeks, you have radishes and you didn't have to do anything. Radishes are there for you and easy to please and so easy to eat in so many ways, including a non, I wouldn't say non-traditional because it's a very French thing to do to saute your radishes. but. You've brought us sautéed radishes, and I'm so happy in this moment that somebody else did it, and I didn't have to tell them about it. Should we eat that? Yeah. absolutely eat those. So a lot of people have an aversion to radishes because they taste like spicy dirt. I, mean, I love spicy dirt, though. Like, <laughs> but spicy dirt in butter. So <laughs> um. Right? So these I just um, tossed a little oil, roasted at 400 for about five or six minutes. 
dress them with a really simple vinaigrette. Mm-hmm. Oh, my word. Yep. Clarissa Lee Madden from Grown Up Farm in Belchertown. You mentioned that you came from a fine dining background. Tell us a little bit about that background. Uh, mostly restaurants in Providence and Cambridge. Uh, we were at Lot 401 for several years. I was pastry chef in all of my restaurant iterations <laughs> um, until we started catering. I really I enjoy savory foods more than sweet. Yep. So working with these sorts of things is really my jam more than like chocolate and right. you know, sugar. Radishes more than chocolate and sugar? Yes. That's yes. a hot take. That's hotter than spicy dirt right there. <laughs> These radishes, though, I'm going to say maybe not chocolate, but other sugars for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, when we decided to get out of restaurant of kitchens, we wanted to provide food to everybody, not just people who can afford to go to really expensive, you know, fancy fine dining restaurants. We really wanted to reach out and provide these fun ingredients we've been able to play with to everybody. So did you come from those restaurants and buy a farm in Belchertown? How did you get to Belchertown? Literally, that's what we did. (laughs) (laughs) We bought an acre of land, and it was just an acre of plain old land, but the farmland there is good. The soil is beautiful. And we started growing things um, 2019 just for ourselves. In 2020, the pandemic kind of hit our community, you know, hit everybody's communities really hard. So we said, we need to feed our neighbors. <laughs> so that's what we did. That's amazing. Have they been really receptive? Have you been able to do educational, outreachy things with regards to the more fun? I don't want to say funky. And I don't want to say non-traditional because it's not as if these things are not grown as regular crops in other parts of the world. It's just unusual for this area, shall we say, ingredients. Yeah, that's actually been one of the most fun things for me personally, being at the markets, talking about the kind of vegetables that I'm bringing. You know, people say, what? What are those? Like, oh, they're cucumelons. <laughs> Try one, you know? <laughs> cucumelons are some of the most bizarre-looking things. Just like, and they're so They're fun. so tiny and so fun. Every every new vegetable that you mention, Clarissa, Kalise, you're like, oh, I know exactly what that is. Kalise <laughs> is one of the deep cuts when it comes to yeah. cutting vegetables. That's adventurous. Yeah. <laughs> and so, Clarissa, you're at four different farmer's markets this summer. Yes. Right? And that's one of, the, one of the places where you're getting to interact with folks and maybe explain what, what some of these interesting foods that you're growing up. Are, yes, right? yes. We're in Belchtown, which is our local town market. On we just s- talked to them about their Sunday market uh, oh, last week. Fantastic. <laughs> we were there at the market, I should say. Yeah, and Sundays we also do East Hampton. Uh, Wednesdays, there's a new market in South Hadley, which is fantastic. And uh, then we are also in Chicopee, which is still an up-and-coming market. You know, I think last year was their first year. Oh, really? And they're really starting to build community awareness for the market in Chicopee. Let's taste something else that you brought for us. Yeah, we we'll do it for you, Clarissa. listener. Pickle. What are yes. these? Uh, so those are the Hakurai turnips, which are here fresh. They are a really interesting turnip because they have a little bit of sweetness. They don't have as much of that. I, I hate to use the word funk again, but. Can't get enough. What experience are you having right I'm, now, Monty? I'm, I love them fresh, mm-hmm. but pickled, they are just They're so good. dynamite. Did you try the leaves? Yes. I did. Yes. I was going to ask how you make that, Clarissa. What did you do to to create that transformation. So those are lacto-fermented. So you have a ratio of salt to water, and you pack all of your vegetables, pour the cold oh, solution over it. <laughs> and they're still crunchy, right? Yeah, yeah, still crunchy. The way I do my lacto-fermented uh, pickles is... Bring I'll show you the jar. Clarissa grabs a mason jar. Yeah. <laughs> so inside you'll see a grape leaf, 
And that grape leaf provides tannins to keep your vegetables crispy. So whenever you're doing lacto-fermented veggies and such on your counter, see if you can find a grape leaf. Just rinse it. You don't want to wash off any of the flora. And uh, chuck it in there. In about five days, you will start to see the, the salt solution getting cloudy, and that means it's working. We're speaking with Clarissa Lee Madden from Grown Up Farm in Belchertown. So not to chew right into the microphone. I love all those mouth noises, as do all the <laughs> listeners. I've and, been chewing into the them. microphone this whole time. <laughs> and Jacob Sorry Nelson from CESA, the local hero folks. Clarissa, you, we mentioned your fine dining background, and you have a farm now in Belchertown. You're making all this great stuff that not a ton of other people locally are making, but you also continue to be a chef and have a, another fun part of your culinary adventure. Yes, I am very fortunate to be able to be a, a chef while I'm farming. So I get to go out on yachts, and I'm a personal chef on yachts during the uh, during the summer season. So like, you'll leave the farm now and go on to a yacht? Yes. Who takes over the farming in the height of the farming season in Belchertown while you're on a yacht? My very capable farmer husband. Uh, <laughs> he is absolutely in charge of all the plants. And he is fantastic at growing. I mean, the man was born with two green thumbs. And you have a family on the farm, too? I do. My husband and my son. Do you know where you'll be going on the yacht? Well, I just got back from three weeks in the Baja region of Mexico, which wow. was beautiful. Whoa. Nice. Yes. Um, the produce was amazing. Excellent. I got to hit up two different farmer's markets. It was insane how many varieties of fresh greens and vegetables and the avocados, guys. Well, yeah. yeah. I know I mean. it's stereotype, but wow. Avocados from Mexico. Avocados from Mexico. People love to brand that. <laughs> but they taste so much better when you get them and they're there and they didn't have to be in and a they're truck. they're in right? so Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> avocados in Mexico, better than avocados from Mexico. Yes. Avocados from Mexico. Yes. But it's interesting to think about, you know, you visiting a farmer's market in, in Baja, Mexico and seeing all these different types of foods that are less familiar to you and your palate. And that experience is available right here too, just like visiting you at one of these four farmer's markets that you sell at. Come two weeks from now, these vegetables that you've brought us today to taste, that's going to be something totally different. And there's this choose your own adventure that unfolds all summer around us to, to expand with curiosity some of the things we're eating. And that's so cool. You didn't have to go anywhere. It's right here. You're right? absolutely right. And so. that's one of the reasons I always promote CSAs. We have so many beautiful local farms in this area, and a lot of them pr- provide CSAs to their members. And That's community-supported agriculture. It's a farm share, as opposed to CESA, Community Involved in Sustaining Agriculture. <laughs> I get that those acronyms can be tricky because they're so related. <laughs> yep. I got to ask you about growing mushrooms because like, I, I love that there are now – it's still only really a handful of mycology places around here growing the fun mushrooms, as I would say, because there's so many varieties of oyster mushroom. Are you, you're growing the mushrooms on the farm? Yes. Yes. What made you decide to move into doing that as well? Because that's not so typical, but I also think, and I'm, you know what, I'm going to leave that question there and then I'll ask the second part later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we actually started growing mushrooms first. That was our first crop that we really wanted to provide outside of 
the normal stuff. So um, we have been growing mushrooms on our own for about 10 years now. Before that, we were foraging for about 10 years. And I said, if I have to eat another bug, I <laughs> will die. Can we please grow our own? <laughs> the joke aside to like all those vegans foraging out there, there's no way that you've stayed vegan foraging mushrooms You're in the woods. You're there's just bugs. no way. Like, however accidental, like you have definitely gotten animal protein. <laughs> Sorry. Cold hard facts. So we we started growing oysters. We grow the pink ones year round, even though they are a tropical variety, because my uh, husband built this beautiful indoor growing facility for us. It's an old ice cream refrigerator truck box, so that he then converted into this clean space. So we have you know the flow hood for the the cultures to keep everything really, really clean. And then we have three growing tents inside where we can control the humidity and temperature to make sure we're providing the optimum environment for the kinds of mushrooms that we're growing. You've created a literal mushroom. Yes. Monty's Didn't back, miss everybody. Me, oh. Monty's back, everyone. <laughs> Speaking with Clarissa Lee Madden oh, boy. from Grown Up, which is not me, Farm <laughs> in Belchertown, and Jacob Nelson from CESA. You wanted to ask the second part of your question, ask, was, but let's eat something before we get to the second part of the question. Yeah, what else yeah. we got here? Clarissa? So I'm going to highly recommend that you dig into those broccolini leaves. Yeah. They are roasted broccolini leaves. I know everyone's familiar with kale chips. Mm-hmm. Um, I find them to be a little bit dusty on the palate, and... These have more flavor, more texture, and what's really great about them is they're typically a throwaway product. People get their broccolini from the farmer's market. A lot of times the leaves are stripped off, but we leave them on, so you can do this. (laughs) Same thing, little oil, throw them in the oven with some salt. Mm -hmm. Two or three minutes. Delicious! Stop throwing away the leaves of like cauliflower and, and broccoli. Like they're great stewing greens mm. because everything in that family generally is. You can stir fry them, you can like you can saute them, you can braise them. It's wonderful. Stop throwing your leaves away. You better be careful, Khalees, or Clarissa is gonna get you on the yacht as a sous chef. <laughs> <laughs> is this my pitch meeting? Because I think I'm doing it pretty well. I think so you far. are without even realizing it really well. yeah. I haven't been a sous in like it. fifteen years, but you know, like whatever, my knife skills are still here. <laughs> yes. I love this. It's so, so great. My other question about um, mushrooms is like, how many varieties are you currently growing? I already made known that like, I mean, lion's mane is kind of low key, my favorite, but I have a soft spot for chestnuts and beaches. I love beaches. Bette Midler. Classic. Iconic. Monty, uh, Monty's still back. You took away your friendship without even discussing it with me. Monty is still back. <laughs> From the beach. Did you ever where there were not the same mushrooms because these have two E's, like the trees. Oh, yeah. Which I think is how they got their name because they all, they like that environment. They like those trees to grow on, but I might be wrong about that. I think you're on point. Yeah. Great. Um, <laughs> we do grow several varieties of oysters um, because partially because they are familiar. They're so easy to yeah. cook, and uh, they're really pretty. Mm-hmm. They're like my flowers in the winter, especially <laughs> the pinks, the golds, which I have here, mm-hmm. um, the blues. We grow the kings and black pearls, which have the big, you know, chunky stems to them. You can kind of scallop them like scallops. Like scallops. They do turn out quite like scallops. Mm. Our most popular one that we grow is lion's mane. Um, There's so much hype around it right now. A, it's delicious. It has, like you said, a very delicate, almost sweetness to it, kind of like crab meat without being crab meat. 
and the texture is super fun. You mentioned tribbles. I think they look like tribbles. Yeah, <laughs> that's assuming one tribble multiplying with an average litter of 10, producing a new generation every 12 hours over a period of three days. And they do look like <laughs> tribbles. Trouble with tribbles as they taste delicious. <laughs> Sorry, vegans, you get bugs with them, too. But not these, because we grow these indoors. Ah, well, there yes. you go. Perfect. What else What else haven't we talked about that you've brought us to, to, to try here? Garlic scape pesto might be pesto. rounding us out. Yeah. It is. And can you demystify garlic scapes for us? I feel like this is one of those things that, like, if you know, you know, and then you're really hype about them. And yeah. if you don't, you're like, what the heck is that curly cue? <laughs> They're like worms. Tail thing. Snakes. <laughs> yes. Um, so garlic scapes are the flower of the garlic plant. So you plant your garlic in the fall. It comes up green in the spring, and right about now, June, is when the flowers start to pop up, and they do. They curl right out, and you can reach down, tug straight up, and you'll get a really nice long scape instead of snapping them off. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> give it a firm tug. And it kind of like snaps down lower. You get these really tender bits, which are very asparagusy. They have like this garlicky asparagus flavor to them. I think that they are one of my favorite vegetables for the entirety of the summer. They keep really well in your fridge. You can use them on the grill, roasted, in soups, make sauces, um, saute them up and just throw them in with pasta. They are so versatile and they have this great flavor profile that really goes with anything. I substitute them for long beans and stir fries sometimes. Mm, very nice. Because sometimes you can't find garlic long beans that are in good condition, but garlic scapes around this time of year are always kind of perfect. And you made a pesto. I did. I made two pestos, actually. So I brought... A cooked pesto, which is where I blanched the garlic scapes so we could eat it fresh here with some gorgeous crusty bread. And then I made an uncooked one where I used the raw. Um, oh, we're going to make that for you, Khalees. I'm getting it all over the place, ripping it. Oh, I no. Look, I oh, bit, man. They're going to be so mad. <laughs> it's just Don't like worry. we have to clean this whole thing. Don't worry, fun to drive people. We're going to clean all this stuff out of here. You won't smell the garlic scapes and the pickles and things that we're eating in here once you... We're, p- we're pitching for any PM. Sorry, not sorry. So what you can do with the the raw stuff is it all of this freezes really well. <laughs> Literally everywhere. I'm trying to hand it to Jacob while I'm recording and holding bread in my other hand. There's like napkins here. You have like tools at your disposal. Use them. I only have two hands, Khalees. Oh my gosh. This is so easy to make. I threw it together not this morning. Not easy to eat for some sure of us. Apparently. <laughs> you get your garlic scapes. Food processor, as much cheese as your heart tells you. To All use. of the cheese. Yes, a nice, a nice little hunk of of good Parmesan or, you know, any kind of like good firm cheese that you want to use. These vegetables are for everyone. Yes. Right. You were saying that Grown Up Farm just got authorized to accept SNAP last year. Congratulations! At your, at your farm thank stand, you. tell people where yes. your farm stand is, and then at these four markets too. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah, we are really committed to making sure that everyone has access to local produce. And everyone has access to interesting local produce. You know, it's not just green cucumbers, slicing tomatoes and corn. It should be available to everyone. So getting approved to accept SNAP on the farm stand in Belchtown was very important to me. Um, And all of the markets that we are at also accept SNAP. And a couple of them even do a SNAP match. South Hadley, Chicopee, East Hampton. Those are the ones where you can go use your card get $10 to use anywhere else in the market as well. That's wicked cool. That's not a program that I've heard of before. Yeah. I think uh, the Tuesday market does a little bit of a snap yes. match, too, on Northampton. as well. Yeah. It's Tuesday. This has been delicious. We should have... There should be... 
It's like, is this going to be like the wine thing where like we've yeah, accidentally well, I mean, made the we, farmers up their game? I was going to say that we should have more <laughs> farmers on who are also chefs, but I don't want to pressure farmers to be more also, than they already like, need to be. I but you I happen think to that be. Are, Those are both two demanding things. Yeah. Our <laughs> NEPM compatriots would literally kill us if we did this to the studio. If I keep getting garlic scape pesto all over the board while I'm trying to juggle 15 different things. John Nowacki is going to lose his mind. They're already just trying to get the things to work, and now we just slathered garlic scapes all over over everything. We're like, eat it! You need to support New England Public Media for a full cleaning of these brand new studios because of all the garlic pasta that I've gotten all over the place. We're sorry, engineers. We love you. Yes. Clarissa Lee Madden from Grown Up Farm in Belchertown and a bunch of farmers markets in the area. And Jacob Nelson from CISA, who are the local hero folks where you can find out about all the different farm shares and all the different farmers markets through their website at buylocalfood.org. Thank you both so much. Thank you so, so much. Stop throwing away your turnip greens and your radish greens too. Put them in salads or saute them the end. Coming up, celebrating the end of the school year with a school who's trying to make the world a better place. We'll take you to the Better World Picnic at the Bridge Street School in Northampton. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, homegrown in Hatfield, Massachusetts, and providing energy savings for their customers for over 10 years. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte, back from vacation, but school kids from all over Western Mass are about to start theirs. Before the school year wraps up, Monty takes you to a Northampton public school striving to make the world a better place. My name is Liz, but when I'm here, I go by Miss Liz, Mm -hmm. which you can call me if you want. Thank you for inviting me, Miss Liz. So we're at Bridge Street School. We are in Northampton. In Northampton, we're the downtown school, and we're right on Route 9. So you probably see us whenever you come into Northampton. And what's happening right now? So this is the Better World Picnic. It is the student showcase of all of our student work and learning over the course of the year. Every year, well, this is our second year, so I sound quite grand when I'm explaining it, but (laughs) every every year we have a new theme. This year's theme is community spaces. So all of the student work relates to ways that teachers and students thought together about our spaces, how we share them in our school, in our city. There's a lot of great, great ideas around here. So the Bridge Street School is part of the Northampton school system, but what makes the Bridge Street School special in your estimation here, Ms. Liz? I'm sure every teacher thinks their school is special in, in their own ways, um, and I personally just love working at Bridge. It's really got so much of a wonderful mixture of backgrounds, languages, uh, folks that walk to school, folks that bus to school, um, incomes and uh, ethnicities, different identities. There's just a lot of different family structures that was just really makes for a magical type of classrooms. You can bring in so many different uh, experiences in one group of like 20 kids. You'll have, you know, I think there's maybe five languages spoken in my classroom and that's similar in a lot of other rooms. You were saying to me earlier that Bridge Street School, it upends some ideas about what Northampton Public Schools might be like. It's a little hard when you're inside and you're not like in the neighborhoods, you don't know exactly what people say about the different schools. But I've heard um, people just kind of casually refer to Bridge as being maybe the one that you wouldn't want to have your kid go or you wouldn't want to live in this part of the city where this would be your school. Um, A friend of mine referred to it as the black sheep of the Northampton schools. And that's something that I feel like we who work here understand. Some people think, but I feel like that's almost a question for people who live and go 
you know, send their kids here or who don't, you know, they might have more to say about about that. But as a teacher, what is it, what's your perspective on, on that narrative, I guess? So I went to a school that was considered the, the, it's, it's a word I don't even want to say. It's a coded racial word that um, I'm not going to, going to say it, but it, it was understood to be the school that was poor. It was a school that was more mixed racially. Um, and it was a school in the neighborhood where maybe the houses were a little bit run down or whatever. And uh, I understood that people thought we were the dangerous school and we thought we were the awesome school. We were the one that had uh, so much vibrant, you know, wonderful, engaging things going on, so many engaging things. So I feel the same thing here. I just want to stand on the rooftop and say, oh my gosh, please come see how awesome this school is and how hard the teachers work and how the families are so wonderful and all different from each other. And um, and there's ways that we need to do better for all the different families. I think that's one thing that the picnic really shows is that when you do a lot of work around bringing people in, you get everybody. But a lot of times school events can feel like uh, less accessible. And uh, we felt really proud of last year because of how many people came. Whose idea was it to do this Better World oh, Picnic? I'm so glad you asked. So at Bridge, we have a diversity equity committee, and right now it's made up of uh, classroom teachers and uh, some other staff members like the adjustment counselor and special ed teachers. It was last year that we first started meeting, and we pick a text or we pick a series of texts that relate to the theme that we chose. Last year's theme was uh, Voices of the People. And we focused on really highlighting the voices that aren't typically heard. So we met and we talked. Uh, we did our own personal work, read about ideas, and then took those ideas and went to our classrooms and went to our coworkers and said, hey, here's an idea for a project. What do you think about trying this? We had a film showing. We tried to get a couple potlucks happening. And so many people, staff you know, here came in and engaged with that stuff with us. So we did that again this year. So the DEC is maybe about 10, 10 people who work here. It's awesome. I mean, we're, we're so excited that it's kept kept up and we're getting a good crowd again. The music's about to start. got the expandable brass we band do. over there. One of the band members happens to be a parent of one of our, of the DEC members. So we had a little special in on that. And there's lots of great food from all sorts of Northampton restaurants. And one of our own families made pupusas. Oh, nice. You can't go wrong on those. I'll wait till all the students and families yeah, get there. Yeah, I guess. I guess you could. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I'm eager to hear what um, other folks say about their experience with our school and with this this event. But we're we feel really proud of our kids and and the work we do with them. Some of the tables here at the picnic, highlighting things like messages to our neighbors without houses. These cards will be distributed around town where people without houses go for support. Writing a positive message to a houseless person in the city. And that's the expandable brass band in the background. Hi, my name is Soledad Torman. And you have a child that goes here? Yes, I do. I, I do have a fourth grader. And they've been going here since kindergarten? Yes, uh -huh. that's true. He has, we have, well, we moved to Northampton in 2018, and there is when he started the kindergarten here. We, moved, we live really close by, you know, and um, I'm from Peru. I have been living in the United States for around 10 years now, mm -hmm. and I love around here. I love Northampton. I love British Street. They are really, I mean, for my kids, they, they, they welcome him, and they are open to everybody here. 
make you feel good. I was working also here as a product professional for four years. Uh -huh. No, yes, almost four years. And I stopped working here because I opened my own daycare, family daycare at home. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of doing my own business now. But, you know, like maybe with time I will be able to come back here. <laughs> That's great. Tell me about the community about around Bridge Street School. We're, having, we're at the Better World Picnic. Yeah. How is Bridge Street making the world a better world through this community? Well, this is the second year, and as, as you can tell here, and I know people cannot see it through the radio, but we, you have families from everywhere here. And the, the good thing about this kind of program is like everybody feels welcome. You know, it's close to be to the principal, to their teachers. It's, it's like you are just a regular person here and you can talk to them. It's not like they don't have this barrier to say like, oh, people, I'm the principal and I'm not going to talk to you. No, here is the principal. She's serving the food over there. Carol is our principal this year and we are really happy with her. That's so great. What do you want people, else do you want people to know about Bridge Street School? Well, I want people to know that Bridge Street is a good place for your kids, especially if you are coming from a different culture, because you have people who, live, who really care about your student here. And we have teachers like Miss Liz, for example, like she goes above and beyond for their kids and she will try to do anything for them. And, you know, as a parent, you feel like you, you have people who really care about your kids. And as a person working here, because I used to work inside the school, you can tell they even sometimes a lot of pressure because you have to get to everybody here. That's your goal. And it's not you are not alone here. You know like a lot of people who work in the school are trying to do the same thing like you, so that you are not alone working here. Ms. Liz was saying earlier that some people might have the perception that Bridge Street School in Northampton on Route 9 is a, an outlier in the Northampton school system, but you have maybe a different perspective. What's your name? My name is Ayana Morse. You live here in Northampton? I live here in Northampton. Um, I'm a parent of three kids at Bridge Street School. Tell me your perspective about the school. Um, we've had a really great experience so far. The teachers are wonderful. The community is really sweet. It's the most diverse school in the city, which we find really exciting. We moved from Los Angeles, uh -huh. and so feels less diverse than that. But <laughs> It's also a lot smaller here. It's also a lot smaller here. <laughs> yes. But yeah, we've had some really great experiences, and I was saying to Miss Liz that I think, uh, well, I asked if that was still true, that people think of Bridge as a black sheep school. Um, I have the sense that that is changing in perception. People from Los Angeles want to go to a school that feels more diverse and inclusive in this way. Yeah, and that's so much more resourced than many of the urban districts that people are moving from um, as more people are moving into Northampton. One of the other exciting things at Bridge Street School is the walking school bus. What's your name? Woo! I'm Becky. <laughs> I'm Mackie. Olivia. I'm Howard. Tell me about the walking school bus and why it's exciting. So the walking school bus is a wonderful thing. We have neighbors who help the kids get to school in the morning, children who um, can't get a school bus because they're too close to the school. So we meet them along the path to school and we take them to yeah. school. And you are just community volunteers? Or? Yeah, 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 they just join us walking as we walk to school. And yeah, and we wear these special vests. And are you a walking school bus volunteer? Yes, too? and I will actually be the coordinator come this September. Well, we make sure that we are there on time and yes, our keep, route is keep very them in line. The train runs on time. What made you all want to get involved in this? She has kids that went here. Hi. 
Uh, I have two kids who came to the school. One is leaving this year. Uh, the Walking School Bus Initiative was launched in 2016, 2017, and um, they needed a coordinator, so I was a caregiver here and said that I would do it, and I've been working with these fabulous people ever since. So I don't actually walk, but I keep the bus running, so to speak. So. I had a neighbor that did it, and she posted about it on Facebook, and I said, hey, you know, this seems like a cool thing to do. So I contacted Stephanie, and yeah. When we started it the first year, there were just, I think, three of us drivers. And we you had- call yourselves drivers? Yes. yes. Uh -huh. And we had one route. There are a lot of different motivations that none of them by themselves would have been enough. One was just the horrendous sort of parking situation during drop-off in the morning here on Bridge Street. Um, another was just this realization that there were lots of people who live really close to school who didn't walk to school and we wanted to sort of model the idea that it's possible to do in all weather and then there's you know research that shows that kids who walk to school actually do better in all sorts of ways like in terms of mental health and academics and everything so you know it's like a good thing and then finally it's one of the few things you can do that doesn't have some sort of trade-off or sacrifice or something like there's no martyrdom involved you know it's good for me I like going for a walk and it's good for the other people, and nobody, nobody is sort of hurt by it in any way. So, do the um, walking school bus drivers get together when school isn't in session to just all go for a walk together? Or? <laughs> we have uh, ridden our bikes out to Look Park. Sometimes we get coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so there are perks. It is an amazing community. Like I, when we started this, I didn't realize that that was going to be the primary benefit of it for our students and for our community members. It's such a great group and our kids benefit tremendously from knowing all of you. So. I think one of the biggest things is teaching the kids how to walk in the city. You know, I'm very strict about them learning to look uh, right and left. And That's a big thing. It is a big thing. And you know, when we have the little kindergartners, sometimes they just full of energy and pep and they'll just start running. And you really do have to teach them how to cross the street. <laughs> but but there's, there's fun things too, like, like the kids will, some days, will just sing their favorite pop song. They know three lines, they'll sing them over and over for the whole way. Which one of those songs could you uh, never stand to hear again? Um, you know, I love them all. Okay, good. Um, do you mind me mentioning that you're in a wheelchair? Because I think that's an interesting thing that gets lost on the radio. That's, yeah. That's fine. Um, you are leading the walking school bus, but you yourself are in a wheelchair. Yes. Yes, yes I am. You're a driver, yeah. Yep. I think that's great, too, because you're, you're modeling that anybody can do all of these things. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I think it's important to show kids, yeah, you can do these things even if you're disabled. You may have to do it in a different way, but you can still do it. Olivia is also an alumni of Bridge Street School, which ah, I think is pretty notable. Yes. This was your school? Yep, I was here in the late 90s and 2000s. Nice. So, yeah, I love this school and I'm really, really happy to be a part of it in a way still. Thanks once again to everyone at the Bridge Street School's Better World Picnic. We hope students and teachers have a great summer vacation. And I'm fresh back from summer vacation myself. I spent some time in P-Town. Except P -town. you took it in the spring. I know. Investigating <laughs> that mysterious P-Town logo bumper sticker you might have seen on cars in the 413. We'll meet the artist behind the logo and hear about the similarly themed Northampton one this Provincetown artist has created. You're listening to the Fabulous 413 on NEPM. 
Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Clee Smith. While Monty was vacationing on the Cape of Cod, he couldn't help but do a little bit of work because he can't help himself when his interest was piqued on the streets of Provincetown after seeing a strange logo he's been spotting on bumpers all over Western Mass. One of Western Mass's favorite vacation haunts, given that Northampton is the lesbian capital of the world, is P-Town, Provincetown, Massachusetts, on Cape Cod, where I happen to be right now. And one of my favorite things to do would be driving around and seeing this interestingly fonted word that took me, I will say, multiple tries to figure out what it was saying. I didn't know if it was Hebrew. I didn't know what it was trying to say. But it is a very blocky font that says P-Town. And I walked into a store on Commercial Street in Provincetown where the sign with that blocky font was out in front and asked at the counter, who created that font? And you said, you, who are you? I'm Tim Convery. <laughs> and um, I developed the logo, the P-Town logo, just about 11 years ago. And it, I created it with duct tape. That's why it's so blocky. I love it. And um, it was actually back in the 80s that I started working with tape and then abandoned it for a career in design that crashed and burned in uh, 2009. Because but, of the whole economic collapse or because? Well, of... I think partly with my, me too. I, I created my own economic crisis myself with my boss. But you know what? <laughs> we don't need to delve into that it's, story perhaps. <laughs> but, but, all, but it's actually all good news because it got me to P-Town and it got me working with tape again. And... You know, and I opened this. I opened this store in 2012, and I started with P-Town, and then products and posters and home goods, all based on P-Town. But now I have over 200 different destinations that are available as posters, mugs, and T-shirts that are available online. I love it because I had heard tell from our friend who's vacationing here too that like, oh, they've got more than just the P-Town. I walk in, I see the Sitco sign with Boston, beautiful place in my heart for that, and then they've got all of these posters up here from. NOLA and Seattle and Tel Aviv. So maybe this could actually be Hebrew script, but this, it's like a phenomenon. I feel like I see these all over the place. Yeah, it's kind of crazy um, what happened. Like two things that I'm kind of obsessed with are travel posters. And I'm also obsessed with typography because I did design for years. Uh So what I did when I was creating this stuff was like, it's very limited. It's a very limited color palette. And I only have so many spaces to fit in characters to create the town. So I either make ligatures or combine the letters together, which is a ligature, or piggyback the letters so that it creates like a funny little icon. And then there's an image that sort of tells you about the location. Mm -hmm. So what happens is outside I have the prints in the window and it never fails when I open up in the morning, somebody comes in and says, what is that one in the upper right-hand corner? So there's this game to it where people are getting the information so it becomes like a fun puzzle for people. So one of the images associated with P-Town is the Pilgrim Monument. I see that on this T-shirt over Uh here. But the other one, and maybe the first one I saw, was the fishtail which I associate with Christianity. So I was like, and sometimes oh. Christianity and the ethos of things in P-Town don't always jive. No, it's actually a whale. I've had a lot of, <laughs> I had a fight with this lady. She's like, well, I think it's a fish. I'm like, honey, you can think whatever you want. I said, it's a whale. It's a funny story because I wasn't going to do, it's one of the things that gets that visual out there is the bumper stickers these black and white bumper stickers that I started doing in 2012 of this whale visual. 
I remember seeing somewhere on Twitter people arguing about, no, it's this Christian on the cape, or no, it's this, or no, it's that. So, I mean, I think the controversy is is sort of hilarious, but, you know, just truth be told, it is not a fish. It is a whale. And it is not a Christian on the cape, it is necessarily. Not, I can't, I can't and, assume. And that. I'm not a Christian on the cape either. <laughs> Do you know about the eat more kale t-shirt bumper sticker phenomenon? No, I never heard of that. Are you kidding so we're in Western Mass, and there's a lot of those bumper stickers, too. But it's funny that this is a duct tape-influenced ligature or design, um, design yeah. because that guy's Eat More Kale font was based upon his own fingers. He traced them and, like... Oh, and so then he got sued, speaking of Christians fighting with people, by Chick-fil-A, because their logo is Eat More Chicken. And Chick-fil-A, being a huge corporation, sued this, like, Southern Vermont-based designer oh. because they thought people would get confused between Eat More Chicken and eat more kale. If you think that Vermonters don't understand the difference between kale and a chicken sandwich, we invite you to Vermont and we'll give you a lesson about the difference between a kale and a chicken. Kale is a vegetable. Chickens are birds. And uh, he won in in a a lawsuit. So I'm all for the strong, independent, out of the ordinary font-based artists. Well, you know, I would rather die of starvation than eat anything from Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and I thought those Christians were supposed to forgive yeah. and like, love and do all that jazz. Well, yeah. Just sort of... The rainbow's supposed to remind us to love everybody, and it's Pride <laughs> Month. So let's right. remember that, no matter what background you're from. <laughs> right. Well, thank you for giving us a little yeah, glimpse sure. into all this. Are you going to make a Western Mass-based uh, duct tape logo you sometime? You know what? I, I don't have anything. Well, I have one for Northampton, which is a Birkenstock with someone wearing a rainbow tube sock. But I don't know how, how that really covers all of it. I mean, there's so much going on out there. Yeah. But I do need to do like a Shire one, even, you know, for the Berkshires. Yeah, yeah, Something yeah. like that. So, hey, you know what? You people, you want to email me, tim at tim-scapes.com. I throw it all in the hopper. You never know what's coming out. Tomorrow in the fabulous 413, words that are next to things. That is not quite what the prefix para means, but we'll discover how it is part of a word Merriam-Webster is watching with word nerd Emily Brewster. And we'll speak with Terry Janor about Secret to Life, an immersive theater and music project centering the stories of elder women of color coming to Bombix in Florence this weekend. Our director is Tony, still mad about missing the tragedy show last week done. Our engineer is Betsy, fully mobilized baby Lankto. Our technical team is Bart, crammed into the front row at Tweety Rankin, Karen, nefarious methods to get Scotch Foster and Punk Rude Boy Dubay. Thanks to Spouse, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, the Expandable Brass Band, Suitcase Junket, Cool in the Gang, Bette Midler, Star Trek, former Vermont Governor Peter Shumlin, Roddy Bottom, and Home Body. I'm Kelly Smith. I'm Monty Belmonte. See you tomorrow on the Fabulous 413.